0: This morning, I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scriptures to Genesis 39. Genesis 39 this morning, as was just read a moment ago, Genesis 39, verse number 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. At the tender age of just 17, Joseph was sold by his brothers to traveling merchants who resold him to a high-ranking official in the Egyptian governments. And once the favored son of Jacob, Joseph was now the feeble slave of Potiphar. He was in a foreign land with unfamiliar people who spoke a strange and different language. He had no understanding of what might happen to him going forward. Never mind the homesickness he may have endured. Think of the terror of his greater circumstance. Not a good experience for a young man like Joseph. In fact, we might expect Joseph to be scarred for life because of his circumstance. Perhaps Joseph would suffer psychological trauma. Perhaps he would turn to a life of crime. And who would blame him because of all the injustice that he suffered in the very truest sense of the word? And so what does one like Joseph or even one like you and me do when we find ourselves in Joseph's shoes? We've been abandoned. We've been betrayed. We've been wronged in some way, sold down the river by our own flesh and blood. I I doubt that your circumstance is quite that bad. However, you may be feeling lonely this morning or you may be feeling hurt this morning. You may be fearful of your uncertain circumstance. I declare to you this morning that God is always in control. I've written that at the top of your notes. He is accomplishing his purposes for our good and his glory this morning. Joseph and the hand of God, part two. Let me pause for prayer, and then we'll look at the account this morning. God in heaven, we thank you so much for guiding your people over the course of millennia. I thank you, Lord, for your presence among your people over the course of millennia. Lord, even this morning, as we're mindful of what's happening in the Middle East, Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for your presence to be among your people, Israel. Lord, for your church, believers in Israel, in Gaza, around the world. Lord, this morning we are thankful for your presence even here this morning among us. And And, God, we trust your hand even when we don't fully understand what you're doing. I pray, God, that you'd give us insight and understanding now as we study Genesis 39. We commit our study to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one in your notes, if you're following the outline I've provided for you, number one, the providence of God's hand. The providence of God's hand. No matter how dire the circumstances in Joseph's life, there is good news in verse number 2. The Bible says in Genesis 39, verse number 2, the Lord Yahweh was with Joseph. You can underscore that. Look at verse number 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Him, You can underscore that. Folks, the Bible is clear that while Joseph might have been far away, God was with him. But it's not only in verses 2 and 3. God only wasn't only with Joseph at the beginning of the chapter. Look at the end of the chapter, verse 21. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him great mercy. You can underscore that. Look at verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. You can underscore that. Folks, the Bible is clear that the providence of God's hand was near to Joseph, helping Joseph. Joseph, I would offer you this God's presence. In verse 2, verse 3, verse 21, verse 23, God's providence always begins with God's presence. God is near. Psalm 139 asks the rhetorical, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, Sheol, the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, what's it say? Your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. And folks, this has been the repeated promise of God to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, God told Jacob that in Genesis 28. God told the children of Israel that in Deuteronomy 31. God told Joshua that in Joshua 1. And God has promised the same to us in Hebrews 13, verse number 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's presence is near to us. And so often when we go through deep waters... And when everything is going wrong and everyone is against us, we comfort ourselves with this. We say, well, this too shall pass, right? This too shall pass. But but does that really help us? Is coping or surviving until the storm blows by, is that the best we can do? I would offer you the testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 57. My soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. What is that? That is God's presence. Near to the Lord in his presence until the calamities pass by. So when we say, this too shall pass... Okay, this too shall pass, like a kidney stone, right? This too shall pass, but when will it pass, and what do I do in the meantime? It is the presence of God that is near to me. God's presence is near. What do God's people do in Russia or Ukraine this year? What do God's people do in Israel or in Gaza? What do they they think this year? Well, this too shall pass. What do the people of God at Fourth Baptist Church do when we find ourselves living in a strange and scary place, like our own country? This too shall pass. In the meantime, how about my soul trusts in you? In the shadow of your wings, I, I take my refuge until these things pass, until these calamities pass by. God was with Joseph in Genesis 39. And God is with us, his presence. Look again at the text, verse number 2, Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord Yahweh was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made, him, made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had, except for the bread which he ate. He didn't even inventory his things or manage his things. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Letter A was God's presence. Letter B is Joseph's prosperity. Joseph's prosperity, and we understand prosperity to be health and wealth. And success in life for Joseph, it wasn't just health and wealth and success in life. He was also good-looking there at the end of verse number 6. Maybe you can relate. Or maybe 3 out of 4 isn't so bad, right? Health, wealth, success, and, and good-looking. But but what was Joseph's path to prosperity here in this matter? What was the secret sauce to his success in life, in, in such a difficult circumstance. And perhaps it was a, a good work ethic, or perhaps it was strong character. In fact, that's what we would teach our children work hard and do the right thing, and you'll always come out on top. And when life knocks you down, get back up ag- again and, and climb back to the top. However, if you read this account carefully, it's very clear that Joseph's prosperity came from the hand of God. Look at verse number three again. Verse three. And his master saw that the Lord Yahweh was with him, and all that the Lord, and, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper. Look at verse number five again. So from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Folks, it's pretty clear to me that God is the one here to credit with Joseph's success. Certainly, we should have a good work ethic, and certainly we should have strong character, and we should excel at whatever task we've been given, and certainly we should maximize our talents and our abilities and our gifts and our education and our expertise. But folks, if you are reading Genesis 39 and you are missing the hand of God, the providence of God in Joseph's circumstance, then you aren't reading the same Bible that I'm reading. Because the Lord Yahweh, God's hand, is all over this matter. and In spite of the terrible circumstances that Joseph suffered, God's unseen hand of providence was at work. So that in verse 6, all that Potiphar had was given to Joseph. And, um, and Joseph was the overseer there in that place. Now... At some point along the way, verse 7 happens. Verse 7, and it came to pass. And so it it comes to pass, verse 7, follow as I continue reading. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her, to be with her. But it happened about this time, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. This is a great case study for us on, on temptation and the right response to it. So before I give you Roman numeral number two in, in your notes, let me offer you just some observations about this brief account here. These are not in your notes. there's just observations that I would offer regarding temptation and a right response to it. You might capture these in the margin. First, temptation can occur at any time. Satan will tempt us at any time. For Joseph, the temptation came at a time of promotion and prosperity. Joseph was enjoying the good life. He had absolute authority. He had very little accountability. He had, no, he had complete autonomy. But the Bible warns us that when we think that we stand, take heed lest we fall. Because temptation may come at any time. Secondly, temptation can occur in any place. At any time. And secondly, at any place. For Joseph, the temptation came in the safety of his work space. In the solitude of Potiphar's house when he was alone in the house. Temptation can come at any time. It can come at any place Thirdly, temptation can come in any form. And here for Joseph, the temptation was in the form of a a solicitation to immorality. King Solomon wrote extensively about the seduction of a wicked woman in the book of Proverbs. And and here we can analyze the, the, the particulars of the temptation that Joseph faced. And I think it's a good case study. However... What I want to do is highlight for us this morning Joseph's triumph over the temptation. Whatever the substance of the seduction in your life, we can learn from Joseph's victory in this case. And Joseph responded in the very same way that Daniel responded when Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. That's number two, the purpose of Joseph's heart. The purpose of Joseph's heart. First, Joseph was decisive. He was decisive. Every time that Joseph was solicited to sin by Potiphar's wife, he dogmatically declined the invitation. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. But he refused. Look at verse 10. But he did not heed her. Look at verse 12. He left his garment, he fled and ran outside, verse 12. And we must be decisive regarding sin. The answer is no. We don't need to think about it. We don't need to pray about it. We don't need to to rationalize it or ask our friends about it. We simply say, no, well, pastor, it's not that simple. I don't want people to get the wrong idea and be offended. Why not? It's sin. And so with decisiveness, we say, no. It was Billy Sunday, the young Major League Baseball player who was saved at the famous Pacific Garden Mission, became a well-known evangelist. He said this. He said, listen, I'm against sin. He said, I'll kick it as long as i got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old, fistless, footless, and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. Oh, that we had the same attitude towards sin as Joseph did, as Daniel did, as Billy Sunday did. Rather, we often soften it and we spin it by saying perhaps that it's a gray area, right? or maybe it was a poor choice we have some regrets or we failed in some area to err is human right after all everyone makes mistakes no call it sin you sinned i sinned we sinned be decisive in a premeditated way understanding sin which which really leads us to letter b joseph was discerning he was discerning. In verse number 9, he, he identified the solic- solicitation to be intimate with another woman as, as great wickedness. Look at verse number 9. It's great wickedness. It's sin against God. Okay, today, this, this is part of our problem today. Today, we call alcoholism or drunkenness, we call it a disease. Homosexuality, it's a lifestyle. Abortion is a choice. Pornography is a struggle. Adultery, what is that? An open relationship? And we lack the discernment to call sin, sin when it is. You say, well, how do we know when sin is sin? Psalm 119, verse 104 says, Through your precepts I get understanding. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And when we refuse to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2, it is then that we can discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Folks, we need to do better. We need to be discerning. We need to rightly judge and then fully appreciate the dangers of sin in our life. Well, Pastor Matt, I, I, I didn't realize what I was doing. I just, I got myself into a situation. I, I, I guess I didn't realize what was happening. And then it just kind of, where's the discernment Joseph was decisive. Joseph was discerning. How about this, letter C? Joseph was doxological. Now, I confess that I chose that word partly because of my efforts at alliteration, right? It works. It's, it's, a, it's a letter, a word that begins with a letter D here this morning. However, we know what that means, doxological. It means giving glory to God. In verse number 9 again, we read of Joseph's greatest concern was not violating his boss, but his God. And Joseph knew that sin is a violation against the very person of God. Read verse 9 with me. Follow, as I read verse 9, There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he, Potiphar, kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Or sin against his wife? That's not what he says. He says, and sin against God. Our sin is sin against God. That was David's confession in Psalm 51 after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He said to God, I have sinned against you. Do you know what the, the prophet Nathan told Dan, David, David, I'm sorry, when he confronted David about his sin in 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. Nathan said, because by this deed, your adultery, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Folks, God is not glorified when we sin, for it does not magnify his name, but it violates his character. And so after David sinned with Bathsheba, he pled with God for cleansing. This is Psalm 51. You're familiar with that psalm. It's his psalm of confession. So that, this is Psalm 51, verses 14 and 15. So that he could sing aloud of God's righteousness and so that his mouth could show forth God's praise. Folks, we cannot rightly worship God and glorify God while indulging in sin against God that violates his character. One of the greatest motivations, I I believe, for purity in our lives ought to be not that we'll get caught, we'll make a mess, there's natural consequences, I might have regrets, never mind that. The great motivation for us to maintain purity in our lives ought to be the doxology of God the doxology of God isn't something that only happens on Sunday mornings in this place, but rather it ought to be a perpetual concern for us. In fact, we even read this morning, "Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in who is in you whom you have from God? You are not your own; therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's." It's a doxological mindset. God I want you to be glorified in my life privately, publicly, because my conduct as a professed child of God reflects you. Joseph was decisive. He was discerning. He was doxological. One more. One more. Joseph was delivered. He was delivered. Verse number 12. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand, fled, and ran outside. Folks, this is not rocket science. Joseph ran away. He fled. He was delivered. I've given you 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 there. You know it well. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Don't think that you're unique. Pastor Matt, you don't understand my circumstances. I'm the only one who's ever faced this in the, in the history of mankind. No. It's common to man what you're going through. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation be able to make a way of escape that you should be able to bear it. What is that way of escape? I, I think the greatest counsel that I can give to you pastorally to achieve victory over sin is is this. Run for your life. Escape. Get out. Shut it down. It may demand something dramatic. Maybe you need to pull the plug. Maybe you need to change your friends. Maybe you need to quit your job. Jesus taught a principle of radical amputation in Mark 9. If your hand or your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, clearly he's not actually suggesting personal mutilation of the body for these things, but he's illustrating the, the, the lengths that we must do, go to escape sin. So run for your life. Joseph was delivered. Look at verse number 13. And so it was. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought, us, brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to me came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused understandably. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in the prison. Folks, just just stop there for a moment and feel the injustice that Joseph is suffering again. He was sold by his brothers into slavery, into Egypt, betrayed by them, and now again, for a second time in his life, he he did nothing wrong. He walked in integrity, but now he's incarcerated. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand. All the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. He trusted Joseph entirely, delegated all authority to him because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. If you were preparing a a structural outline of, of this chapter, this account in and you had to create notes, what would you title verses 13 to 23? I call it number three, the providence of God's hand. You say, but pastor, wait, wasn't that Roman numeral number one? Oh, in fact, it is Roman numeral number one, but it summarizes it so well this is deja vu all over again in fact if you compare verses 21 to 23 the end of the chapter compare verses 21 to 23 with verses 2 through 5 verses 2 through 5 and verses 21 to 23 once again Joseph is the victim suffering in innocence but in this case he isn't living in Potiphar's house but in the jailhouse Yet because of God's good hand of providence, Joseph is prospering here and God is accomplishing his purposes in the life of Joseph. The providence of God's hand. And folks, in spite of the chaos of your life and in spite of the crimes against you, God is at work behind the scenes. And you purpose to, to do right and to walk in integrity, and yet you're criticized, you're accused, perhaps incarcerated. I don't know that anyone here has experienced that, but do you understand that, that Joseph here began this chapter as purchased property? He was a slave. And that Joseph is finishing this chapter also enslaved, incarcerated as a convict. And yet God's hand of providence is threaded throughout this entire account. Don't read Genesis 39 and see Joseph Potiphar and his wife or the jail keeper. See the hand of God. On the back of your notes there, a poem. Man's life is laid in the loom of time to a pattern he does not see. While the weavers work and the shuttles fly till the dawn of eternity some shuttles are filled with silver threads and some with threads of gold while often but the darker hues are all that they may hold but the we- the watcher I'm sorry the weaver watches with skillful eye each shuttle fly to and fro and sees the pattern so deftly wrought as the loom moves sure and slow God surely planned the pattern. Each thread, the dark and fair, is chosen by his master's skill and placed in the web with care. He only knows its beauty and guides the shuttles which hold the threads so unattractive as well as the threads of gold. Not till each loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God reveal the pattern and explain the reason why. The dark threads were as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver for the pattern which he planned. Folks, look to the hand of God, his providence, sovereignly working behind the scenes in ways that we do not understand, his footprints that, that, that we don't See his hand that we can't feel, but trust him. This too shall pass, but we remain in his care. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for encouraging us from the life of Joseph this morning. Lord, it's, it's not fair what he suffered. And yet you and your kindness prospered him to accomplish your purposes Lord, it's not fair what we suffer today. It's certainly not fair what's, what's going on around the world. Lord, we, we can make no sense of it. It's, it's evil. It's wicked. Lord, it's, it's so devastating. But somehow, your purpose is being accomplished, and we'll trust you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.